Welcome to the Magnificast. I'm Matt. And I'm Dean. Uh, uh, just kidding. Uh, Dean's actually not here. Uh, I was going to do the entire podcast uh, as if I were Dean and also myself, but uh, maybe that's not a good idea. Okay, well, uh, I guess I guess I should just let the secret out. Uh, Dean's on vacation this week, uh, and I had to find someone to fill in. Obviously, no one can fill in Dean's space, uh, but I invited my friend John, uh, John Brittingham. He is a philosophy professor at the place that I work, the institution I teach at, uh, and he's here to co-host with me, so that's exciting. John's research focuses a lot on Latin American philosophy and also some French philosophy, uh, people like Levinas and Derrida, though John has... Uh, one other weird kind of fascination, and that is uh, summer camp. When I asked John to co-host, it didn't take long to figure out what we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> camp and all the weird disciplinary structures that come with it are a thing John has spent way too much time thinking about, and uh, now me too. Now I think now I've thought about it for way too much time. Uh oh. So uh, get ready to uh, join the weird conversation and camp out. Okay, uh, so every week we start just by catching up a little bit. Um, since John is the guest here and guest host John Birmingham, uh, we're going to start and just uh, see what John's been up to. John, what have you been up to? Uh, so um, currently I'm working at a summer camp run uh, in conjunction with Duke University. Uh, it's called the Duke Talent Identification Program. Uh, it is the summer camp for nerds, kids, parents, and sometimes the kids themselves pay a lot of money to take classes taught usually by graduate students or professors. Um, and I've been lucky enough for the past eight years to be able to uh, teach philosophy to teenagers who are like eager to learn about it. Um, at the University of Georgia site for it. So that's what I've been up to. Uh, it's a lot. It's like you're teaching like six hours a day. So Yeah, that's wild, man. What yeah. classes are you teaching or what, what, what's the content? Uh, just one. I teach a class called Philosophy of Knowledge, which uh, the idea behind it originally was like, hey, let's have an epistemology class. And I was like, hey, that's boring. We'll do that for a week which is what we do. <laughs> so we do like very classic Western philosophy, um, uh, epistemology stuff. So it's like Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Hume, um, that kind of a thing. Um, and then, and then we get to the interesting stuff. So I use all of that as a setup to get students interested in, um, talking about knowledge and getting used to like philosophy's inherent quirks, um, and then we talk about ethics and politics and aesthetics for the rest of the time. So, yeah. Neat. That sounds really cool. What's like the best thing you've read so far? Like what, what have your students been really into? Uh, my students love existentialism, um, which makes me really happy because I also enjoy existentialism. Uh, so like 
we read some Fanon, and they really liked Fanon. We read the beginning of um, Black Skin, White Masks, uh, and it was really cool to get to uh, to get them into existentialism, not through like some French white dudes, but through like Fanon and um, De Beauvoir. They read a little bit of Simone de Beauvoir. Um, think what was it? Ethics of Ambiguity. A little bit from uh, that. Neat. Yeah. So like it was. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's way better than Sartre. Yeah. Or Camus. Those guys suck. Yeah. I mean, Sartre is take it or leave it. Camus is interesting, but like, I don't. He's yeah. He's like friends with them, but way cooler than them. And yeah. so he's just kind of like, yeah, all right, I'm going to go over here and write my, you know, like, award-winning novel. Yeah, I read The Stranger when I was, like, 18, and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, same here. I, uh, I've i reread it since, and I thought it was less cool. Yeah. But it's all right. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's a fun thing. There's, there's a whole, like, Islamophobic and uh, weird relationship with, with Northern African... Arab uh, self identity that uh, that is in the background of the stranger that I didn't pick up on the first time I read it and was reading yeah yeah oh, I did yeah. a similar thing I read it through again I was like oh this is weird yeah <laughs> some 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 like less than subtle racist stuff happens and uh, you don't you don't yeah, catch it until the second time around which Ooh. is you know disheartening in part because Camus was such a supporter of. Algerian independence, but he was also uh, similar to Derrida, a uh, like a white Algerian, uh, and so right. both of them had a very complicated relationship with Algiers, uh, the the city of Algiers, and later become Algeria, uh, the the country. So this episode, we're talking about uh, summer camp, and I guess more specifically, like, Christian summer camps. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a uh, a little bit of a different sort of topic than we usually do on the old Magnificast. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not an ingrained or obvious connection to talking about communism or something, which is, I mean, fine. You know, it's, sometimes you need to not do communism. I mean, yeah, not really, but uh, sometimes we can talk about other things, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, John, you're the one that pitched the idea of summer camp to me, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, I think it's a fun idea. So, can you tell me, like, what your interest is in summer camp? Sort of more than just, like, mm-hmm. I like going. Yeah, uh, summer camp is a really unique kind of an experience, because, on the one hand, it's very similar to uh, tons of things that, that at least Western... Uh, like North American, uh, predominantly bourgeois culture tends to embrace, right? So like uh, people go on like writing retreats or they go to like, we're going to have like a staff like retreat where we're going to go and like learn about each other and learn about how to like work well together and stuff like that. And we even have like, you and I both work at the same university, uh, have a kind of summer camp that, uh, that we just went on with the CCCU, mm-hmm. right? But then we'll also have like, hey, welcome back to work summer camp called Development Week or something like that, right? Uh, and the idea being that it's this sort of time and 
space of frequent contact with the same set of people that uh, that is separated out from uh, the time of every day. So, so there's a bit of a, like, this is a special time. I mean, this is a special place. This is, um, this is not the usual and the rules are different there. And so, so they're like really the, and, and summer camps run the gamut, right? So like, uh, I have worked at summer camps where they said, okay, you need to show us uh, back back when people listen to like CDs, you need to show us your CD collection that you brought with you. Yeah, because we don't want you listening to secular music while you're here, because it'll be a bad influence on you, and by extension, a bad influence on the student, like the campers we have here. So I literally had like like worked for a place where they like went through all of these different CDs. They're like, all right, you need to keep this one in your car. You need to keep this when you're also you had to sign out whenever you were going to leave camp like weird things like that mm-hmm. they didn't really want you to have a cell phone from that that end of the spectrum to here where like it's practically a hol- today is practically a holiday for the campers because it is their so-called gay day the day after pride uh the day that's the two-year anniversary of uh, the Supreme Court of the United States ruling on the legality of gay marriage. Mm. And so the kids are like all about that here and they're so excited about it. It's like everybody is all rainbow everything. And yeah. And so it's a very different set of rules than say, or a set of expectations than say life uh, in ordinary time in ordinary spaces. Yeah. That's which I right. think is interesting. That's yeah, that is interesting. Um, so Dean isn't here right now, mm-hmm. but uh, one approach I think Dean would take to this, uh, ch- channeling him for a hot second, one approach mm-hmm. he would take to take to this thing is he would say that summer camp is a type of technology, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then since uh, like I would add to Dean's comments about technology, saying that uh, the summer camp uh, reminds me a lot of what a Gombin calls like an apparatus or the mm-hmm. apparatus, the dispositif, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you're not familiar with some like a really, uh, a really deep cut in contemporary French philosophy or Italian philosophy. Um, I mean, I've read State of Exception. <laughs> no, I mean, but all of our listeners. Uh, oh, yeah, oh my that's God. true. Right. Like go read but, State of Exception. State of Exception is a very good. Yeah. Book. Read the first um, two chapters. The rest of it. Mm. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, all of the parts where he he uh, throws shade at uh, George W. Bush are very funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, they're like it's no longer relevant, but still very good. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, in a different book, Agamben uh, Agamben wrote. It's called "What Is an Apparatus." It's like uh, it's really short, mm-hmm. but basically he says that an apparatus is a set of strategies, of relations, of forces supporting and supported by certain types of knowledge. It's like a regime uh, where you go into it. And uh, a different type of logic kind of takes over for a while and uh, takes over like your uh, daily practices, your yeah. uh, daily rhythms, and you have to live by some different rules. Um, mm-hmm. I've been to quite a few summer camps in my day as well. Um, and the one the one that always uh, sticks out to me the most is like church summer camp. Um, oh, definitely. Because I think it's the most regimented and it's the most... Um, mm the most different in terms of like the way you live your daily life. Um, 
maybe at least so like just thinking through like what my day was like and and trying to think about the the times when i'm like made to do something i wouldn't normally do i mean it's 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 really easy i mean i would get up way earlier than i would normally Mm -hmm. i'd have to go to the tabernacle aka like Mm -hmm. sweaty church different than regular church because it's summer sweaty church sweaty church yeah so one of the places where i worked uh uh durley camp uh the tabernacle is right uphill from a reservoir that has the grungiest, like most terrible uh, water in the world. Like you would go into that water, you come out, you immediately take a shower because <laughs> you you smell like the leftover ooze from a Ninja Turtles movie, right? Oh, like yeah. you just smell awful. But because of that huge body of water being right there, you would uh, you. When the humidity got really high, all these horse flies would come out, and they would just attack you while you're sitting there in the tabernacle. Oh no! So you just like get like they just go for you. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, it was it was not good. Yeah, well, so yeah, you'd be in the tabernacle for a while in the morning, and then after that, after you sang some of the worship songs, your your favorite, I don't know jars of clay songs or like mm-hmm. whatever chris tomlin those are the yeah. people you'd sing those ones mm-hmm. H- hard and yeah. uh then you leave and you go to your activities and then you go to lunch and then you do more activities mm-hmm. and at the end of the day you come back to the tabernacle and do the the same sweaty church routine all over again yeah until you have to go to sleep uh anyway so it's like a whole rhythm of life where someone else is oh in definitely char- someone else is in charge they're trying to make you do some things to make you a certain type of person or there's a mm-hmm. definite understanding yeah. where you're you're doing uh, a practice to that you're doing a practice for a week that's supposed to stick with you for way longer than a week and right. uh, of course that doesn't work but you know mm-hmm. <laughs> at least not yeah. for a week i i keep thinking of uh in at the beginning of essay 2 of nietzsche's genealogy of morality he he asks this question how do you breed an animal that makes promises. And so I was just thinking about that, like how do you breed, how do you produce, how do you create a certain type of being that will behave in particular ways? You know, and like one of the ways you do that is by constant reinforcement, right? So it's a lot of it is this kind of conditioning. Um, And what's interesting about it to me, uh, it wasn't until you were talking about it that I didn't make the connection between uh, monastic life and oh, yeah. camp life, and that yeah. it has it has a very monastic quality to it. Like the majority of camps are in remote places, so they're not like right in town, but they're off cloistered away, right? And you live in close proximity to all of the same people, and you see them all the time. And people have very different tasks that they do. They're very different activities that they'll go to um but they become known as like that person right so it's like oh that's the kid who who started frisbee club right (laughs) or like that's the that's the fastest bible quizzer in five states right like Like, that's the kid who has a family size of doritos in his room yeah yeah exactly right and it turns into like some version of heavyweights that disney movie (laughs) where they're like bartering with candy bars that they hide all over the place yeah and it eventually turns into like children torturing adults yeah you know yeah that's the best part that's uh was it cracked 
Com has a great hot take on like 90s movies about camp were all well most 90s movies starring kids were all about them trying to kill or torture adults like children were terrible Um, well, maybe we can like rein this conversation back in. Uh, yeah. So summer camps, it seem like, uh, you know, they're, they're about formation. They're about producing mm-hmm. types of, uh, types of people. I guess thinking specifically of Christian summer camps, I mean, we can get to others as well, but, yeah. uh, Christian summer camps, what type of people are they trying to produce? Like, what is the, uh, what's the desire, do you think? At least the places you've worked. Yeah. Um, the the places that I have worked have all been on I would say the more conservative end of evangelical Protestantism. Um, oh hey, let me interject really quick here. Yeah. Uh, you, Dean is Catholic, and usually this is a very Catholic heavy podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, you and I are both Protestants, so that is um, yeah. So de- Dean's away, mm-hmm. uh, post theses yeah. on the doors of churches, uh, reform oh, yeah, things. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, Catholics, this episode is it's not like, for you. If I disagree with you, Matt, I am going to form a new denomination. Oh, nice. There's nothing you can do to stop me. That's cool, because I've already formed my own as well. <laughs> oh, well, fine. It, I swear, if you come here, I will deny you a small thimble of Welch's grape juice and piece of Hawaiian bread. You can't have any of it. It's all oh. only for only for people of my sex. That's fine. I can just go to the store. We we consecrate by uh, like a confirmation via text message. <laughs> uh, so it's just like okay, it consecrated, and then it's just like somebody does the thumbs up emoji. Thumbs up it's emoji. Like, all right, ready to go. Ready to go. And it's really just it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, all of it together. There you go. Right? Don't even need the wine. Right. Right. Um, No transubstantiation here. No. So anyway, the the places that I worked at were very, very evangelical Protestant. I would say very conservative, um, even though I don't like using those terms, but very kind of um, very concerned with uh, being a kind of uh, fortress against and like so I would put it this way that the the types of summer camps I worked at were that were Christian camps were really concerned with one being a fortress against the the world in which they lived uh, seeing seeing Christianity and a certain kind of morality as being under siege by those around you know those around them and as a result um they wanted to provide i'm going to use the term safe space but it means very different things (laughs) right so they like like like, repressive space yeah exactly like a like a bomb shelter like basically the christian camps i worked for were like hey you remember the beginning of fallout 4 yeah, that, but, you know, with, like, Hawaiian punch and, like, too much white bread for, uh, you know? Yeah. So it's the, it's the Benedict Option. Oh, yeah. It's totally the Benedict Option. Like, this is one of the things you and I were talking about earlier, that, like, it seems like summer, like, what what Rodrero wants is basically, like, full-time, full-time Christian summer camp, 
you know, just like tucked away in the woods where everybody can be like, you know, chased together or something like that. Yeah, uh, that sounds that sounds what he like what he's after. Yeah. Um, except like Rod Dreher would be that guy at summer camp who wants you to sign his T-shirt, but you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I please, also I also Rod suspect Dreher, that no. this guy he would be the guy at summer camp who like always wears like really long, almost to the knee wool socks. But also like sandals, so you're just yeah. like, all right, dude, it's really hot. Why are you wearing wool? Oh, it's moisture wicking. No, no, it's not. It's meant to keep you warm. Why don't you just wear the sandals, right? <laughs> like I just imagine him. There was this great old '90s Nickelodeon show called Salute Your Shorts. Yeah. I just imagine him as like he and Ugg would really get along. Ugg, the like senior counselor who always wore like a thousand SPF. Uh, a thousand SPF uh, sunscreen on his nose, right? And uh, yeah, and who do you remember? To... Do you remember the uh, the Halloween episode of Salute Your Shorts? No, I don't. They thought there's like a man. I'm trying to. I'm desperately trying to remember exactly the plot, but it's something like um, there there was like a spooky ghost slash serial killer that was going to come uh, yeah come kill everybody, and it was Budnick. Of course, it was Budnick. Yeah. It's always good, Nick. It's right. Yeah. 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 Um so there's that that like fortress mentality thing. Um which the the desire to be uh away to get away from it all feeds into that because there's this kind of idea that are that children will escape from the harshness of reality and they'll get to go to this place that is uh almost Edenic, right? And then on the other hand, there's a kind of like military training that goes hand in hand with that. Mm-hmm. Where it's about really like uh, the rhythms of a week of summer camp are about kind of breaking students down to then build them back up into a particular kind of, of a Christian person, but but that's not explicitly what what they're trying to do. Like the point is uh, is this the the training is to provide them with an experience that they can always refer back to, and that they have the right sort of beliefs. But what they're training them to do is something different than uh, than what they say they're doing, right? What these camps do, yeah. No, I think it does. Um, so summer camp has, I, I guess, in like uh, its disciplinary qualities, um, it trades in bodily discipline, but also just as much affect. Like, mm-hmm. like when you when you go to summer camp, it's not like a, uh, it's not an intellectual sort of endeavor. I mean, maybe you're a Bible quizzer and like you know you're Bible quizzing yeah. at summer camp, and that's that's fine. That's like something, I guess. Mm-hmm. Very intellectual. Uh, listen, I was just in it for the girls, but uh, people are some people are really into it. Um, yeah. Not me, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I say it trades an affect insofar as um, sort of like the like the ecstatic religious experiences that they craft there for you. Um, they uh, they have a lot to do with like uh, how you will how you'll perceive Christianity and your relationship to it in that moment, but how you'll continue to perceive your relation to it, relationship to it in the future. Um, I, I think of like, actually 
I, I don't know. I mean, like anyone who's ever been to church camp, you know exactly what it's like, and you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Like it's Thursday night, and on Thursday night is is when there's an altar call, and that's like when mm-hmm. the emotions are played up. There's like yeah. 30, 30 zillion choruses of how great is our God, and uh, and whatever is going on, you're supposed to feel like just like the absolute worst about yourself. Yeah. Um, it's like these intense moment and in, these intense moments of like uh, of real repression about who you are and the things you've done yeah. prior to camp. And there's a real psychoanalytic turn, I think, there, because it's also everyone's, like, even though there are all of these, like, really terrible things you kind of go through, you're drudging up these feelings where you've fallen short of the glory of God or whatever, um, you end up, like, that's the best night of camp for some reason. And, and like, that's really messed up because it's actually the worst night of camp. It's the night where you mm-hmm. should feel the worst. But there's a psychoanalytic insight, I think, that comes into play here from Lacan and Zizek and stuff too, where where you you enjoy your sickness, like you enjoy mm-hmm. that that type of like emotional repression a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so far that that becomes the best night of camp, and you like you know you can't uh, that that's what you take away is that kind of life altering moment where you experience um, the extreme repression that religion gives you and puts on your sort of personal life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something about enjoying, like enjoying the wound that that is that particular kind of event. Um, but it's also the sort of thing thing that they've been building towards. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember when I was working at a summer camp in Greenville called Durley, uh, the one with the horseflies. Um, oh yeah, uh, a colleague of mine there excuse me, a colleague of mine there told me a story about being a counselor and uh, he had like these like 10 year old kids and they're all, they're all sort of going through like, Hey, what are your expectations about camp? Are you excited about like his first night? And it's one kid's like, I've never been to summer camp before. Like I, I don't know what's going to happen. And this other kid gets up and he's like, I know what's going to happen. He also has a very, very low voice for a 10-year-old, which no one understands why. He's <laughs> staring out the window pensively, and then he goes, in the first night, everybody's going to be happy. And everybody's going to be all celebrating and giggling and whatnot, and you're going to hear like a cool story, and the pastor's going to be real funny. And then afterwards, you're just going to hang out with people. And then on the second night, you're going to learn about, uh, you're going to learn about sin. You're going to learn about bad stuff. And you're like, oh, I've heard about bad stuff. You don't know about bad stuff, kids. You don't know nothing. Right? So this is like this kid. He's just sort of a weird kind of like, uh, he's like a, a, a criminal informant from a 1970s movie. <laughs> yep. You don't know nothing, he says, smoking on his like candy cigarette. Right? He's like, on the third night, they talk to you about this Jesus guy. And you go, oh, I like that dude. I want to know. And then on the fourth night, you cry. Everyone cries. No exceptions. And you like go up to the altar, even though you've gone the previous three years. And this kid, like this is no joke, 10-year-old kid is saying all of this. And he's just nailing it, right? That there's this buildup. And then you're really, really sad. And you're crying. And you feel awful about yourself. And then the next night, you hear that Jesus loves you and that he died for you. And then everything's all better. It's going to be all better after that, right? And and he just names the rhythm of this, right? That there is a kind of like, hey, welcome to this, you know, place. 
oh, by the way, here are a couple of helpful concepts. By the way, you're an absolute dirtbag, and uh, <laughs> your parents hate you, and everything that's awful in your life is kind of your fault. But you know what? God loves you anyway. Right. right? And, and so it sets up that very particularly evangelical kind of um, uh, salvation narrative uh, that that human beings are are bad and that feeling guilt is the pinnacle of emotional uh, or of that ecstatic experience. Mm-hmm. And then the release is is joyful but doesn't actually provide you the steps. Like it's it's not a complete moral framework. It's yeah. an experiential framework, which I think the goal is to get kids to – to believe a certain thing about themselves and then about God. And in trying to do that, what they are doing is saying the most real emotion you are going to feel is your own like worthlessness and guilt. And then there's a kind of release that happens. And so God is about this emotional release but also about this extreme guilt. And these two kind of contradictory emotions become the basis of one's religiosity. Yeah. And that's, and that's not necessarily the sort of thing that those who are organizing these camps are planning, because what they're inheriting is a model of evangelism that goes back to the old like second great awakening and later revival style camp meetings so that's where the religious connection is there it's it's a it's a kind of borrowing from this older revivalist style of uh protestantism that swept through the americas but it's not uh, there's not a one-to-one connection there in terms of the history of the summer camp as an app, uh, as an apparatus or as an organization. Yeah, that's uh, right. I mean, you know? the, the the Christian summer camp is particularly like it it reproduces a particular ideological arrangement and like and um, like arrangement of desire in people that I think regular mm-hmm. summer camps don't, or if they, they, they do, but make maybe in a different way or a different set of, yeah, I would desires. say a different way. Um, in large part, because the summer camp where I currently work, like it is very, very progressive. Um, it is a very LGBTQ friendly space. It is a, um, a very, sort of more progressively, in terms of American politics, more like uh, left liberal kind of uh, progressive space. Um, but, that, but it's also thoroughly, uh, thoroughly religious in, in certain aspects, right? It's thoroughly cultish in the same way that a religion is, is cultish. Um, and you can step back and say, okay, so what are the material conditions that produce this sort of thing? Well, first of all, it's a very expensive summer camp, and so the kids who come have to be uh, have to be a part of communities that have a lot of uh, disposable income, right? Um, so there's there's that part of it. The other part of it is it's packed with academics and academics are as a group, as a demographic, 
by and large, much more uh, politically left than they are right. Which is not to say that everybody is that way, because it's also in the Bible Belt. So you get people who might, in certain political senses, be very politically left, but also in terms of their kind of like social teaching and their, and their morality, uh, be much less open-minded and tolerant, right? Um, and then I've been saying this for years working at this summer camp that the way that it functions is not dissimilar to that kind of salvific model. It just doesn't have that salvation narrative. But every they, they do dances because one of the goals is to socialize nerds. Um, and at these dances, there's a very particular litur- liturgy that goes on. That the kids dance for a while, and then at a certain point, there is there's a litany. There are these songs that have to be played in a particular order. And those songs, some of them have dance like dances that are a part of the camp, and others don't. So like, it starts with let's do the time warp again from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and the kids have all these things that they shout. Uh, that are connecting it up with like Rocky Horror um, subculture and stuff like that. Um, and then at a certain point, it gets to these songs where everybody gets in a circle and we link arms, and then they're like, all these kids are just weeping and wailing. And, and they're singing the lyrics to these songs. And in total honesty, having grown up in a Pentecostal fundamentalist church, uh, it is not unlike those kinds of revivals and those types of camp revival meetings that I had. It is almost indistinguishable from Bible camp. <laughs> like, no joke, it's almost yeah. indistinguishable. The difference is, we're singing, you know, like, We Fall Down and How Great Is Our God a million times. Here, they're singing American Pie. <laughs> like, no joke. And then, and the impact is so strong that there are people that I work with who were campers who, when they hear American Pie on the radio, they will start to tear up. Like that conditioning is real. And there's not, and there's no what we would call religious content to it. But it's thoroughly, thoroughly religious. Right. Yeah. Well, on that, on that note of like, um, well, you got to socialize nerds, which, I mean, it's, very, it's like a very good undertaking, probably. Yeah. Uh, I wish someone would socialize me uh, more. Uh, you Camps do end up making these kind of interesting, like, biopolitical sort of moves in in that they uh, they suggest and they think up, like, what it is that kids should do and, like, what they need to do. So, like, there's this really interesting play between like adult authority and kids and like the sort of like the subjects of children, but like, but it's different than it's like a way different relationship between like that of a parent and a child. Instead, it's like the, like the knowing and savvy adult and trying to think Mm -hmm. like, what do these kids need to learn? Like, what do they need to do for the, for the world? Oh, they need to learn how to dance. They need to learn how to talk to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, possible romantic interests or something like that yeah so what what do you think about that what do you think about the the ways um disciplinary knowledge is used in like from the adult to kids it's a kind of like a weird thing yeah um this is one of the things that we talk about in 
in my class a good deal. Um, one of the one of the philosophers that we talk about a great deal um, that really peppers all of all of the weeks that I teach uh, at Tip, the camp where I'm at currently, is Foucault. And we talk about that disciplinary power um, and thinking about it not as inherently bad or not as inherently valued in and of itself, but to, to I like to get the students to contrast how their school functions with how the camp functions, but also to see the ways in which they're very similar. And part of it is that adults are entrusted with, um, with this kind of not production of knowledge, but repetition of certain kinds of knowledge, certain kinds of social knowledge, certain kinds of acceptable behaviors and things like that. And so even though it might be a place that, uh, that claims to be very progressive, or in the case of Bible camps, places that are very regressive or reactionary, um, the, the relationship is still one where there is an authority who models for students the way that the ways they should act or not act. It's interesting too at this camp more than at any other I've been. Um, the breakdown in terms of age and kind of social, not social status, but social positioning. So um, the majority of people who work on the residential side, who are like counselors and who like deal with the students when they're not in the classes, are college students, current undergraduates. And much of what I find with them is this very strong desire to be recognized as an authority. And so for them, how they perform, the, how they, how they perform their authority is to be very vocal about it and to come down on it. And that seems to be coming primarily from a place of insecurity, right? And so, the, I mean, these are you know, undergraduates, these are people who are like our students, they are uh, early 20-somethings or teenagers themselves who are trying to exert some kind of authority that isn't explicitly there in the way that like some, you know, uh, early 30s bearded, bespectacled, beige oval who looks like he owns a coffee shop and talks about microbrewing but never does, aka myself, does not have uh, does not does not have to worry about that in the same way because I occupy a different social space, right? Like I have the I have these three the these are two letters and a period, like doctor, in front of my name that for some odd reason signifies a certain kind of authority over other people, and so biopolitically I exert that kind of authority. Um, and what I find for myself is knowing that that's the case, I want to undermine that to some extent to condition the students uh, or to discipline them to be suspicious of certain kinds of or certain performances of authority. Uh, it's a... Uh, trying to think of how to put it. Um, but... but it's very interesting to, to, to note the difference between uh, those who are like the instructors who are like full-on adults uh, or graduate students and those who are 
undergraduates and how they they enact their disciplinary power because the kids want uh want to get to know these people who are you know lording lording over them to some extent yeah uh, or are responsible to them and they and, and my experience has been that they enjoy seeing people who are not their parents uh enact this set of practices that we call adulthood in the united states um but they're also very suspicious of those who do so without any kind of legitimacy. So it's very, uh, it's very ideological to an extent. Hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is in his lectures on ideology and utopia, uh, Paul Ricoeur talks about the ways in which there seems to be some desire. Now he's talking about, you know, like, uh, totalitarian regimes, um, and in particular, uh, Russia and the Soviet satellite states during the height of the Cold War. And he says it's this really interesting thing that you notice where these are, these are governments that have tanks and they have soldiers and they have all kinds of state apparatuses and institutions that they can use to simply demonstrate their power. But for them, it's not enough to demonstrate that power. What Recur notes is that these totalitarian regimes wouldn't just send out the tanks. They have to make a show of it, right? So, like, it's not enough to just say, hey, by the way, people living in this area, you know, in this, in this one area, there's a battalion stationed right next to your area, you know, right next to your neighborhood. No, they have to march them through the streets. Why? Because there's this desire to have legitimated power yeah well i mean that's that's what i meant earlier too in in the ways that like biopolitical spots like camps trade in affect too yeah i mean like you know that that's what gets people excited like to see that type of power is something like kind of i mean the lose Gutari would would say like well it's like an erotic power you know there's like something like really like Mm -hmm. uh some like horny horny stuff going on there but yeah oh trust me there's (laughs) horny stuff going on in camps I mean, it's like mostly but, horny stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But but okay. So those are some good notes. I, I don't know. What about so you're the place that you're at, the camp that you're in? Does it trades an affect just like other places? Trades an ideology. Yeah. There's lots of that going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, church camp probably more so. Like what? Uh, as, as someone who has been. Uh, a subject of church camp mm-hmm. and then also been behind the repressive state apparatus of church camp. Yeah. Um, like what type of person do you think they wanted you to be? Or like what type of, uh, what type of person did they want to churn out in that sort of like camp factory? I think that what they wanted to churn out was the type of person who would be, evangelistic in terms of their Christian identity uh, and their belonging to particular kinds of communities that held particular, like explicitly held particular beliefs, right? So, uh, so it was the summer camps that I went to and that I worked at were all about a very, about agreeing to uh, a very particular narrative about 
Christianity about salvation, right? And um, I mean, you can just map on. There's this thing in Protestantism. Dean might know about it um, because <laughs> he knows. Uh, yeah, he knows it. Uh, it's called the Romans Road, <laughs> and it is and it is cherry picking particular verses from the epistle Paul's epistle to the Romans that lays out a very particular idea of what it means to uh, to understand one situation before God, to understand the the weight of sin, and what is necessary for uh, for Christian belief and Christian life. And so, to an extent, like I had mentioned earlier, there are kind of two streams going there. There is this explicit desire to have you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is, I think, from Romans 10. I was a Bible quizzer, but it's been, <laughs> you know, years and years and years. Um, uh, and one of the books we quizzed on was Romans. Um which by no means makes me an expert. One of the things that I've learned uh, working in a religion department is just how infinitesimally small my knowledge of the Bible and my knowledge of Christian theology are. Um, but there's this desire to, to make ex an explicit confession of faith, that being enough, right? So there, so, explicitly that that is the kind of person they want somebody who's going to confess that and then that confession carries on out into the world uh to other people that's that kind of what i talked about that sort of military training is like we're gonna teach you the skills you need to know to go and do these sorts of things but what you get taught is something different and i think what you get taught is well one of the you know We've been talking about it in a kind of negative light, but one of the really beautiful things about camp is it teaches you the value of community, and it teaches you the uh, the ability to transcend the kind of uh, individualism that is really prominent in the United States, um, and to see the value of people who are very different from you, because you have to spend so much time there with them. And I think that that's a very important lesson, and it's the sort of thing that uh, that Bible camps will being in one way, oh, sorry, Bible camps be in being one way very selective, right? That uh, people who are Christians or whose like family members are Christians send them there, um, or or nonetheless not as exclusive and as homogenous as, say, where I, where I work right now, mm, which, yeah. on the one hand, you might say, yeah, it's, it's diverse in terms of sexual orientation, in terms of gender performativity, in terms of um, having gotten better but by no means excellent uh, racial diversity. It nonetheless is still economically not very diverse. Uh, and so in, ter in terms of class, in terms of those sorts of things, and, and, and also in terms of race, um, it is arguably more exclusive than the Bible camps that, that I've worked at and, and attended. Um, that said, there, 
the negative side of those camps and what they're trying to produce is is something uh, is something like a Christianity that is built around feelings of guilt and a kind of briefly felt but not uh, not structurally sound release from that guilt. Yeah. And in that regard, then, you can see how that theology, or, or you can see how that, that disciplinary pattern maps onto certain kinds of theology that are very heavy on sin, that are very heavy on guilt, and that treat salvation and uh, absolution as connected to confession, with, and not confession as in the practice of confession, the way that the Catholic Church practices confession, but confession is in like evangelizing, like telling yeah. everybody, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian and you should be a Christian too. And also you're going to hell, right? And that heaven is like this thing that's like way far away and it's not close to you and it's not a sort of attainable thing. And so it's weird because it's a kind of, these camps are a kind of utopia that that treats or they, they they truck in a kind of utopian vision that they treat as nearly unattainable hmm. in terms of theology. Yeah. Uh that sounds right. Here's like a really funny uh a funny story. I don't know, it's not really that funny. It's actually really really depressing now that I'm kind of reflecting on it. But uh I think speaks to at least this thing about the the production of certain type of people, what what adults say children should learn, so on. Okay. So I remember I went to this uh, specifically evangelical camp that was associated with the Nazarene Church, um, which is fine. I don't know. Nazarenes, what are you going to do? Anyway, so when you got there, you could do like three different things. Okay, first, you you could play like real sports. Two, you could play camp games, like not real sports. Mm-hmm. Three, you could be uh, you could be in the choir and do like a musical thing at the end yeah. of the camp. Uh, so uh, me, uh, I I can't do real sports, and I can't I definitely can't do fake sports either. So I jumped in the choir, the choir track, because also that's where like where all the punk kids were as well, mm-hmm. uh, because it was uh you know not outside, and uh, I don't know not sports also so anyways i was i i jumped in there and i remember there was like lot there was not lots of pushback but there was like there are a few pretty candid conversations about this like hey are you are you sure like do you want to be out with the, the guys and not in here with all of these these women because it was it was also mostly women it was a pretty gendered yeah. thing too and I, so I remember having that conversation with more than one person on more than one occasion. Like you, you can switch anytime you want. Like you don't have to stay in here and do this. Like yeah. very, uh, enforcing like a behind sort of behind the back, like uh, sexual, like gendered politics of like, yeah. uh, you know, you don't, guys don't really sing. Like, you know, that that's not like a thing, right? Like yeah, you, you can pretend to like it or whatever, but it's mostly mm-hmm. for girls. Uh, but, but that was like, uh, hmm, even even less than like that that was just like sort of like a small aside of the grander sort of ideological formation that's going on but sort of just a small minute behind the back um moment where um that that culture of conservative christianity was enforced and like uh 
had had a moment where like it was it was trying to be worked out trying to be reproduced um i don't know i know i know you were trying to say some positive things about formation and community a minute ago but like i've got i don't have very many things to say that are good about christian camps i think i think you're exactly right on on especially that reinforcement of particular kinds of gender roles um there is a lot of restriction of of association between between uh you know it was i mean at these christian summer camps it was boys and girls and there's no continuum it's a binary end of story right so yeah. like uh and and so there's like the girl at the one that i went to when i was a kid there was the girl side of the dorm and there was the boys side of like we all stayed in this dormitory thing um, with like wooden paneling from the seventies, it was, and like prison bunk beds. It was <laughs> it was a scary it was a scary place, right? Um, and and you were not allowed to intermingle. And the idea of friendships between between boys and girls was extremely odd and always viewed with suspicion. It was either, you know, you are going to like you're only friends with them because you have you as a male have this sexual desire towards them um, or you want to marry them, not that those two are mutually exclusive. Right. And what ends up happening is that, uh, you know, like even if you're a teenager and you're like, uh, you're a teenage boy and you're into girls, you still also like aren't necessarily in total agreement with the idea that you can't be friends like good friends with women but but that still gets reified and so you're you're in this weird space where you're trying to figure out whether or not you agree with the very thing that you're uh that you're sort of there to help reproduce you know what i mean yeah uh yeah and that that to me is very is very weird um yeah i mean and i don't want to just like hammer hammer on on bible camps as negative and then this you know like bougie liberal camp for nerds that i work at now is like you know uh fully automated luxury communism or something like that right uh, because it's no, not you I know mean, what like I mean? yeah i mean the point of this conversation i don't think is is to just dunk on christian camps even though yeah, we are because it's easy i think the point yeah. of the conversation is to like demonstrate the ways that camps are about formation and the Mm reproduction of like subjects (laughs) that's kind of a weird thing i think this is a more of a foucauldian conversation (laughs) uh yeah no i think you're right i think you're right uh let me ask you this though what what so you mentioned that there are non non non-sports camp games so there's sports games non-sports camp games what is your what was either your favorite or the most interesting non-sports camp game that you played when you went to camp? Uh, we played some pretty good, uh, uh, some pretty good matches of capture the flag. I don't know. That's yeah. not a sport, right? That doesn't count. I mean, I'm sure there's an official I'm, capture I'm the sure. flag league. Yeah, of course there's a capture the flag league, you know, hashtag millennials, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or some, some weird, terrible thing like that, right? Like there are four square leagues, yeah. Uh, for the oh, game. dude, no, we played Foursquare hard though too. Yeah. Foursquare, uh, no joke. No cherry bombs, no typewriters. Uh, yeah. 
exactly. pretty strict about those rules. I played with a guy who would put so much spin on it, on the ball, that it was like impossible to predict where it went. But he was also like the the most calm, nicest human. That you were just like you. Every reaction you had to him, like completely schooling you by putting like a little backspin on it, so it like bounced into someone else's area instead of yours or whatnot. Right. Every reaction was an overreaction compared to this guy who was like, "Oh, almost had it." He's just like <laughs> no, he's like playing barefoot because he always wore <laughs> flip flops or something like that, you know. Um, I say that because uh, I asked that because a lot of people that I talk to who have worked at summer camps uh, have like a real, especially Christian summer camps, have weird sports that people thought were like an actual sport that you should do. Um, and I remember, I remember two in particular that stuck out to me. One was when I was a camper, uh, at this like regional teen, teen, uh, camp, um, excuse me, in Pennsylvania where I worked. And, uh, and what, what it was, was it was kind of like, like there's this thing in Double Dare where you had to like dive into a giant uh, like that of some weird opaque fluid uh, in order to find something and you could only use like your mouth or whatnot. So <laughs> okay. they decided, hey, this will be a great idea. Let's do something like this. Except they didn't have some weird fluid and like a big fake pool. So what they did was they just went out to a field and they dug a big ditch and they left a hose near it. So it's just this huge like big mud pit need to dive into and you couldn't see and people are like splashing mud in your eyes and you're just getting soaked and covered in mud and they're like yeah teenagers like this they like getting in the mud teenagers love like, getting getting dirty right and the other thing the other game that stuck out to me was when i, I didn't know about it until i worked there but at that Durley camp i talked about um they played a game called mission impossible and Mission Impossible was a game in which there is this like tower on Durley's site that in the past has had a bell on top of it, but they would take the bell down, they would climb to the top, and somebody had a huge flashlight. And you always had to play at night. And what they would do is um, below the tower was a bucket, and all the campers would be given cards, and they were separated out into different groups by numbers so there's like cards one two three or four and these cards had a bible or an image of a bible on them and the goal of mission impossible was to get uh get past these uh roving uh counselors with flashlights uh past them past a bunch of obstacles and underneath the tower without being caught as in the lights flashed on you have to stop there in order to drop these bibles off and the whole premise was you're smuggling bibles into communist russia oh and they would God. play the mission impossible theme song that can't be on real no it was real it no was but totally like, real the mythos was there though that it was really communist communist russia yeah it didn't change to communist china until like i don't know like 2012 or something like that <laughs> So when I worked there in 2005, it was like, no, your job is to get these, you know, get these Bibles to come into communist Russia by sneaking 
sneaking around at night and not getting caught by you know oh my gosh like the, the kgb or something like that what's the yeah. uh what's the communist version of that game do you think uh, you sneak copies of the manifesto into the hands of workers on their <laughs> building construction for a non-union job. Yeah, that sounds about I right. That, I think that's how you do it, right? I mean, yeah. because like, I mean, now now you'd have to do the reverse because it doesn't make sense to like, oh, we're bringing Bibles to communist people. It's like, no, we're bringing like liberation theology to people who believe that you know, like. You know, you should be allowed to take away health care from old people or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, John, thanks for uh, sitting in for Dean this week yeah. and uh, talking about camp. Uh, I guess uh, this episode is, uh, is like... Uh, if discipline and punish was about summer camp instead so uh discipline and summer camp i I guess uh anyways as usual please uh follow us on twitter give us a review on itunes and uh next week uh dean's also gone but uh my friend zach d'amelia is gonna be sitting in and we're gonna talk about some uh some like different ways to organize church i guess uh in some non-hierarchical ways that'd be kind of a wild thing so uh stay around for that okay thanks for listening i don't want to get up for church in the morning church in the morning souls alive heaven come to earth and there won't be no church we'll meet down by the riverside there we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, you keep your hoods up You keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up Will you keep your hoods up and you stay up late? Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Besides, what else are you gonna do? Is we kissed in the alley by the Michigan theater. Fall snow is blowing in the lights of the downtown. Saw a spark in your eyes, I just spoke it. Said we're gonna turn this whole place upside down. Then you said, my dear.